Wow, some powerful stories today. If I didn't work all week on a message, I'd be really tempted to say, let's just go home. I heard that applause. I saw those reactions. But I believe, I believe that God wants to speak to us today. And I hope that it comes through what I say. And I know it comes through His Word. And so we're going to continue in our series. We've called our series Stuck. And we've used this word in this image because all of us can relate to it. All of us have been stuck at some point in our life, either, either figuratively stuck or literally stuck. Even this morning, my, my son, who's three years old, he had the info sheet and he was looking at this image. And I said, look, Hudson, it's a turtle. The turtle's stuck. He's on his back. And he was very upset by this. He wanted this turtle to turn over. And of course, I had explained to him, this is just a picture. It's not a movie. We cannot get this turtle. So, you know, we just turned the info sheet upside down, which is right side up, and it helped appease him a little bit. But, but we know what it's like to feel stuck, right? It can be incredibly frustrating. It can get us angry. It can get us tired. It can make us feel hopeless. It can make us fear, feel fearful. And whenever I think of getting stuck, I think of driving, because I've had a number of vehicles over my lifetime that some people would call unreliable. Now, I would like to call them unpredictable, adventurous, but most people would say, Keith, you've driven a whole lot of unreliable vehicles. I've never owned a car that wasn't at least a decade older than when I started driving it. And so I've got a few stories about getting stuck, getting stuck on side roads, running out of gas, mechanical problems. I've been stranded on I-5 more than once. The day after our wedding, Melissa and I, we had valet parking for the first time in our life because my parents picked up the tab. And so I take the valet ticket to the, the person there, and a couple of minutes later, he returns but he's walking. And he gives me the keys back, and he said, I couldn't start it. These are great ways to start your marriage. We know what it's like to be stuck. You've been there. I've been there. It's not fun. Now, we typically don't plan on getting stuck, but when we do get stuck, we need a plan for getting unstuck. And every plan for getting unstuck has something in common. And we've talked about this over the past several weeks. When you get stuck, you need to do something. You need to do something. You need some sort of plan, some sort of action, some sort of thought process to get unstuck. Every situation in which we're stuck requires some sort of action. If you're stuck in a schedule that's too stressful, if you're stuck in a routine of not hearing from God, If you're stuck in some sort of addictive behavior, some type of action is required. To say it more positively, to gain traction in our life, not just to get unstuck, but to get some traction and momentum, it requires some sort of movement. And this is what we've tried to emphasize throughout this series. Take a step. Make a plan. Talk to someone. Let's get moving in the right direction. Because if you do nothing, you're almost guaranteed to remain stuck. If you choose to do nothing, which is just as much of a decision to choosing, of choosing to do something, you're almost guaranteed to remain where you are. 
And one of the reasons why I associate getting stuck with vehicles is because it's obvious when a car leaves you stranded. Now, literally, when you're in a car that is stuck, you know it, right? You're in the car. You're not moving. You turn the key. Maybe it rolls over, but maybe nothing happens. You're very well aware that you are now stuck. But even before you get stuck, there's indicators on the road and in your vehicle that danger may be approaching. Now, for some of those who are a little bit more mechanically minded, you might have, you know, I know guys get, guys are guilty of this all the time. Turn off the radio. Shh, shh. What is that? Shh. I think I hear something. You know, there's an engine sound, right? Or there's an odor. What is that smell? Is that antifreeze? Is it water? What is that? We get little signs. Now, in our sophisticated days with new technology and new cars, we have many more signs. They're what are called idiot lights because you'd have to be an idiot to ignore them. Check engine light. Brake fluid is low. Now, tire pressure gauge, you get a warning on some of those cars. I, I don't drive one of those cars. I get battery level, had that happened. You know, car doors still open. <laughs> we got a light that's out. Those are your more typical ones. But these are subtle signs in your car that trouble is coming up, right? And not just in your vehicle, but we have them out on our roads. Yellow lines, white lines, those are indicators. Lots of people ignore them, but they're indicators that if you stray past this line, trouble may be coming up. But there's also some road signs there too. A curve's coming up. Uh, A grade, you're going downhill. Make sure to get ready for your brakes. Oncoming traffic, there's turn indicators and stoplights and headlights and all these things. But really, these are ones that you can kind of take them or leave them. But we also have more aggressive signs on the road. Jersey blocks and guardrails. Now, they're designed to lessen the damage. They quite often will get you stuck. They'll mess up your car. They might get you in the hospital, but they're designed to lessen the damage. When you drive a car, we have the benefit of having some clear warning signs. You're headed for trouble, and you might get stuck if you don't correct your course. Now, there's parts of our lives, a good amount of, part, a good amount of our life, where we have clear warning signs just by how God made us and who we are as humans. If you work too many 12-hour days in a row, your body is going to start to give you some signs. If, if you're overly irritable or stressed and you respond to someone's question with a fit of rage or anger, they're going to give you a warning sign that you need to change your behavior. And if you don't, they might be the warning sign and they might choose to change your behavior for you. But there's other parts of our life, lots of parts of our life, where we don't really have many indicators at all. It's tough to assess, is there a warning light going on here? It's tough to know, am I headed down this road towards getting stuck? And the first step to realizing you're stuck, or or to doing something about getting unstuck, rather, is to realize that you are stuck. That's the first sign, is always recognizing where you are. Because if you want to get somewhere, it's very helpful to know where you are in order to get on that road that leads to that destination. And there's a part of our life that does not have many clear signs like out on the road. And it's very easy to head down the wrong road and to get stuck rather quickly. It's really easy to get stuck in the area of personal finances. Because do you know what happens when you choose not to pay your bills? 
Do you know what happens at the end of the month when the credit card comes and you choose not to pay your bills? Nothing. Nothing happens. You can get your credit card bill and you can choose to pay the minimum or you can choose to pay nothing. And lots of times, nothing happens. Nothing happens. There's no idiot lights coming on. There's no jersey blocks or road signs. No. You can just keep on keeping on. Here's one of the biggest dangers about personal finances. If you manage your money poorly, you won't know it immediately. You'll find out eventually. If you manage manage your money poorly, you will not know it immediately. You'll find out eventually. Now, most of us don't plan on being poor money managers, right? This is not something that when you get your first bank account or credit card or you get married or you move and you develop some credit and you think, oh, man, I can't wait to manage my money poorly. This is something, not something that we dream about, that we ask others about. Like, this, this is something that none of us really want to do. But even though you may not plan to be a poor money manager, many of us are. Lots of us are. And I think one of the main reasons why we become poor money managers is because there's very little warning lights. There are not many indicators that you're about to get stuck. There's really no immediate consequence to discourage us from doing anything differently. In fact, sometimes the opposite's the case. If you find out that you're a poor money manager, if you begin to incur debt, you get benefits. More cards come. More opportunities to borrow more money. More and more and more options. It's almost like you're a celebrity in the credit world. Great job misusing this card. Let me offer you three more. We're given the option to mortgage our future for the present in order to live a lifestyle that we really can't afford. It's called buying now and paying later. And it's really actually the perfect description for what happens. Buy now, pay later. Now, I'm sure all of us have heard that phrase before, and I'm sure all of us know what it means, and some of you may even know what it feels like, but you may not realize how weird this system is when you think about it. How odd is it that we buy something, we get something, we receive some sort of benefit, but it's not until a later time period that we end up actually paying for that transaction? It's, it's almost comical. In fact, it is comical because Jerry Seinfeld, one of my favorite comedians, he has a clip specifically about this, and it has to do with how restaurants manage their funds, with how we have transactions every time we go to a restaurant and the bill comes. So we're going to watch this short video clip of Jerry Seinfeld explaining the buy now, pay later mentality. Went out to dinner the other night. Check came at the end of the meal, as it always does. Never liked the check at the end of the meal system. Because money's a very different thing before and after you eat. Before you eat, money has no value. Now you don't care about money when you're hungry. You sit down in a restaurant, you're like the ruler of an empire. More drinks! Appetizers! Quickly, quickly! It will be the greatest meal of our lives. Then after the meal, you know, you got the pants open... You got the napkins destroyed, cigarette button, the mashed potatoes. Then the check comes at that moment. People are always upset, you know? They're mystified by the check. What is this? How could this be? They 
start passing it around the table. Does this look right to you? We're not hungry now. Why are we buying all this food? That's from the very first season of Seinfeld, 1990, 23 years ago. We're not hungry now. Why are we buying all this food? And yet this idea, this mentality, which wasn't unknown at that time, has now become the cultural value, the lifestyle that we live in. It's how so many of us manage our money. We'll just benefit now and we'll pay for it later. And we do get these immediate benefits. That great trip that we've always wanted to take. The new outfit. The new car. The party. Immediate benefits with no real penalties, at least from what we can see in the immediate time period. Now, there's idiot lights blinking all over that car, right? But they're subtle, and they're easy to ignore. The trouble doesn't come immediately. It comes eventually. And this buy now, pay later idea has become a new way of life. Now, it used to be years ago, before many of us were even born, it used to be that you borrowed money if you had to borrow money. If you had to borrow money, it was a sign that things were not going well for you. There was a a sickness in your family. There was a job loss. There was an emergency situation going on. And so really the only way out of it was to borrow money because you literally did not have what you were able to to have to to make your, your needs met. And so you borrowed money. Now the situation is people are choosing to borrow money. They're willingly saying, I want these things. I know I can't afford it, but I will worry about that at some other time. And so people put themselves into debt to buy things they really don't need. Many of you probably heard of Dave Ramsey. He's a well-known author and speaker, and he is uh, famous for a number of reasons, but the quote that I'm about to share with you is is perfectly set up for what we're talking about now. He's famous for summarizing the foolishness of buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Right? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So why do we do it? Seriously, why do we do it? Maybe it's because it's what we're used to. Maybe it's because it's what we grew up with. It's the system that we know. It's all we've ever known. It feels good. Maybe it's that feeling that we get, that little high or euphoria of getting something new. The new car smell. The, the new smell of, of the pages on a book. The excitement of a, of a new house. that You deserve this. You're entitled to this. But I think... One of the biggest reasons why we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like is because stuff is no longer just stuff to us. Stuff has become an extension of us. Our possessions possess our identity. And if this requires us to buy something that we can't afford, we don't let that worry us today. We'll think about that tomorrow. And because the trouble doesn't appear today, well, we just hope that things will improve eventually. Now, whether you know it or not, chances are you're in financial trouble. That's what the statistics tell us. Most people have gotten themselves stuck financially. This past week, the Globe and Mail published the latest consumer debt report collected by TransUnion. 
the average Canadian non-mortgage debt is just under $27,000 per person. But if you live in BC, which unless you're visiting out of country or out of province, we all do, our province is now number one for debt per person. We just took out Alberta. Yay, BC. We have the highest debt ratio per person in the country, $38,619. Now, many of us are stuck. Statistics can be misleading because, hey, one person can have zero debt and someone else can have close to $70,000 worth of debt, and they all even out in the end, right? But many of us are in debt. And when we get stuck, we can feel overwhelmed, we can feel powerless, we can feel hopeless, and when all these things combine, it can very much motivate us to do nothing, to sit there with fear and with worry and, and with no idea of what to do next. But remember, in order to get unstuck, in order to get some sorts of a sense of traction, you need to do something. If you do nothing, there's a high possibility that our situation will get even worse. Which is why when we look at statistics like this over the past few years, the debt of Canadians has pretty much stayed the same or slightly increased. So we need a plan to start moving in the right direction. And my hope is that today, you'll hear some practical steps to find out where you are financially and where you need to go to start moving in the right direction. Now, Here's the amazing thing about this topic. I don't know if you're visiting here, if you're a member here, or, or, or you just happen to pop in, or someone dragged you here to hear, hear one of the, the member or the baptism stories, but you don't have to believe in Jesus for this principle to apply for you. You don't have to believe that God exists. You don't have to believe anything about uh, how old the earth is or what salvation is. You don't even have to believe that you're a sinner in order for you to benefit from this principle. And that's because this is not just a a principle for people who believe. It's a financial principle, and it's a principle about the way life is. So don't let your your faith or your belief system impede you from benefiting from, from this word that you're about to hear this morning. Now, because it's a principle, a principle means it applies to everyone, right? When you think about the principle of, of gravity, Andy Stanley's famous uh, for, for saying this as a speaker out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, gravity is a principle. It exists. Now, you can choose to ignore it and try to live life as if gravity didn't exist, and you will injure yourself, correct? I can jump off this building here and say, I don't believe in gravity. It doesn't apply to me, and I will hurt myself quite badly. Or you can understand this is a principle for the way life is, and you can live accordingly. You can benefit from it by finding out how fun it is to jump off something high and jump off a trampoline, right? And get a great benefit from how gravity works. We're about to look at a financial principle here. You have two options. You can choose to embrace it and live by it and make sure it doesn't put you in a situation of getting stuck, or you can choose to ignore it. But if you ignore it, it still applies to you. There's still danger on that road ahead. We're looking at one verse this morning, and only one verse. It comes from the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs. If you are new to the Bible, if you open it up, you're probably going to get to the book of Psalms, and Proverbs is just the next one over, so it's pretty easy to find. 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 is what we're going to look at. Now, the Proverbs were written by a man named Solomon. He was a king. He was the son of King David, who's very well known. And Solomon was regarded as one of the wisest persons to ever live on the earth. And he wrote this book of Proverbs to give other people wisdom and discipline for living. And so we have a number of principles here that that apply in all different aspects of life. And this is what Solomon says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's it. 14 words long. If you get bored with what I say, you can just memorize this over the next 15, 20 minutes or so. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, the first part is, is fairly obvious, right? The rich rule over the poor. It, it's an incredible truth when you look at how the world is now and how it's really always been. Pretty much in every era, every culture, regardless of how many people there are, what the belief system is, what part of the world we're talking about, rich people rule over poor people. It's almost always the case. And they don't just rule over and manage the financial resources. Rich people control the natural resources, and they control human resources. Just last week, a report was released from Boston Consulting Group. Some of you may have seen this. They did their annual global wealth report, and they found that the richest 1% control 39% of the world's wealth. Richest 1% control 39% of the world's wealth, and it's growing. And because they have such great wealth, and because they can use that and leverage that to develop even more wealth, it's going to continue on that trend unless something quite drastic happens. The rich rule over the poor. But it's the second part of this verse that I want to focus on this morning. The borrower is servant to the lender. Now, we know what a borrower is, right? A borrower is someone who wants something or needs something, and they don't have it. And so they are indebted to the lender. They owe something. They're the person that has the big IOU stamped on their forehead. I owe you. I'm the borrower. And we know what a lender is. That's the person who gives out that good or that financial resource or commodity. They're the owner or they're the creditor. They're the one that gives out the resource and then at some time frame, in some sort of agreement, they, ex- they expect a return. But the key to understanding this second phrase in this verse is the middle part. Is servant to. The borrower is accountable to the lender for what he owes. And this is pretty basic stuff. I mean, we've probably heard math story problems like this back in elementary school. Henry is hungry, so he borrows five apples from Katie. Well, Henry is now the borrower and Cater is the lender, right? And we, we could do a little bit of math and, you know, actually have to do a little bit of work this morning. But we won't go there just so we understand who the borrower is and who the lender is. And we know this. But the interesting thing about this is the relationship between the borrower and the lender. We don't often think about that, but Solomon is telling us here that this is a very interesting relationship, and it's a serving relationship. The borrower is now a servant to the lender. Now, that word servant, it's from a Hebrew word, and it can be translated a couple of different ways. One of them is the word servant. The other is the word slave. And slave, to me, when I hear that word, is far more far further down the continuum than servant. But they're used interchangeably throughout 
the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Testament. Which is why when we look at the same verse in the New American Standard Bible version, it gives us a slightly different nuance that brings in the same key point. Proverbs 22.7 says, The borrower becomes the lender's slave. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now here's the principle. Here's the principle that you need to remember and you need to think about. Whenever you borrow, you become a slave. Whenever you borrow, you become a slave. Every time you borrow, you become a slave. Whether you realize you're doing it or not, you are, in fact, becoming a slave to the one that you owe. There's that borrower-lender relationship that begins. So this week, when you buy groceries, or when you buy a new sweater online, or or when you buy a Father's Day gift and and you decide to, to swipe your credit card, you have become a slave to whatever institution of finance that you decided to use whether it's a line of credit or or credit card or or something of that nature. And so at the end of the month, they will then expect you to pay them back. You're actually servant to them. You're saying, I realize that I no longer have a choice in this matter, but it's your terms that you dictate on me to compensate you for what I just borrowed from you. Now, I want to make sure that I don't paint credit companies as villains in this scenario because they aren't. They offer great services and great opportunities for us to borrow money for them. And when we use them appropriately, it works out very well. There's great benefits to this. And they're a business. They're in it to make money. And so, sure, it can be easy to be tricked and to do things unwisely, but that's really our own fault. I like using my credit card. I like not having to carry cash with me all the time. I like having a clear picture at the end of the month of where all my money went and how all of that keyed out and being able to look at my receipts and say, yep, you know, that makes sense. Everything is good there. I like not losing one or two cents for the transactions that I make that now since there's no pennies out there anymore, if I'd paid cash, I would lose out on one or two pennies. You know, I'm a frugal guy there. That adds up, right? That's the way I was raised. I like getting benefits and rewards for swiping my credit card. But here's what I don't like. I don't like the danger of believing that when I borrow, nothing happens. I don't like the danger of thinking that I can buy more than what I can afford and just ignore that growing balance that increases every month. I don't like thinking that I can ignore the fact that when I borrow, I actually become a slave. There's an end point to the buy now, pay later lifestyle. The end point is later. And the penalty for carrying debt may not hurt you immediately, but it will hurt you eventually. Now, most creditors are fair. Most lenders are fair. They'll treat you in a way that's fair to what you agreed to when you chose to borrow from them. But there's other lenders that are a little bit more nasty. And they might even make you feel like a slave. But when you became a slave... When you chose to become a slave, you really gave up your option to dictate what would happen next. You agreed to their terms, and sometimes you will get burned. And when you become a slave, you must answer to your owner. You must answer to your master, which is the lender you borrowed money from. And because you've chosen to mortgage your future for what you want now, because you exchange your future for the present, If your future doesn't go as you hope, you could be 
and a lot of trouble. You'll be in a very foolish place. Because when you borrow, you become a slave. I think this principle is why it's usually a bad idea to borrow money from friends or family members. Now, I've done that in my case, and thankfully it's gone okay, and it wasn't a large sum of money. But for the most part, I don't think it's a very wise thing to borrow money from close friends or family members. And the reason is, is because as soon as you do that, you enter into a slave-master relationship. I mean, who wants to have a best friend and also be their slave? Makes things a little awkward, right? Who wants to share Christmas dinner with someone and also talked about late payments at the same time? Money has a funny way of messing up relationships, doesn't it? And part of it is because whenever money is borrowed, a slave-master relationship is formed. Which is why we hear incredible stories from people when they finally pay off their debt. Have you ever heard someone tell a story like that? It literally sounds like they broke out of jail. I don't think it's a coincidence because it's the same principle here. Slave owner mentality. I want to tell a couple of stories here. I'm going to cite the book in just a few minutes. Here's one person. I wanted to say thanks to you because I can now sleep again at night, knowing that there is a way out of our debt-ridden life. I'm excited to make changes and not have our life controlled by our money, but rather to be able to control our life and our money. The second one, listen to this first statement. Your book was our salvation. I can't be the only intelligent person who absolutely stinks at money management, but we had over $40,000 of stupid debt about three years ago. We have now paid off each and every credit card account. What a weight was lifted from our shoulders. When you borrow, you become a slave. And when you become a slave to a lender, you no longer have the freedom to manage your resources as you would like. Now, I started off this message by saying that you didn't have to believe in Jesus for this principle to be helpful for you, and that's true. But I want to pause for a minute and speak specifically to those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you decided to follow Jesus, I want to say a few things to you specifically. When you chose to follow Jesus, you in essence said, Jesus, you are my master. I am agreeing to follow you. My belief system my behavior, what I choose to do in my decisions, I want to be obedient to you. You are my new master. Now, when you choose to borrow money, you willingly introduce a new master into your equation. And it becomes very difficult to be completely loyal to Jesus when you have these other masters running around demanding money from you that you chose to borrow. And when you mortgage your future for something that you want now, you're also mortgaging your ability to be obedient to Jesus in the future for what he might ask you to do. It's very hard to be generous when you're carrying a load of debt. Debt has a way of killing generosity because it's really hard to be faithful when you're fearful. That's why Jesus said it's not possible to serve two masters. You'll either serve one and you can't serve the other. That's just the way that it is. He says you can't serve both God and money. And the worry of debt, the worry of debt has a way of screaming so much louder to us and getting us all worried than this still, small voice that the Holy Spirit usually speaks to us through. 
But even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, this principle still applies to you. When you become a borrower, you become a slave. Like it or not, it's true. When you borrow, you become a slave. Now, let's talk about what we do with this principle. Let's talk about how to use this principle to get out of the mess that you might be in today. Three years ago, Jericho Ridge had the chance to partner with a woman named Mary Hunt. Before Mary became a best-selling author and a nationally syndicated columnist, she was stuck. She shopped her way into more than $100,000 of unsecured debt, but she paid it all back. She learned so much through the process that she now helps people avoid the same mistakes that she made back then. And it took her 13 years to pay off this debt. A hundred grand's a lot of money, but this was back in the early 80s. So now we're talking a lot, a lot of money, right? Took her 13 years to pay off this debt. But she says, based on what she knows now, if she went back and did it again, she could have paid it off in half of that time. MB Stewardship Ministries. Altis, and I see, is here today. He represents MB Stewardship Ministries, which is uh, one of the organizations that we're a part of as the Mennonite brother and family here at Jericho Ridge. They brought her up. She spoke here in the banquet hall to a number of people here at the church and in the community. And she's written 14 best-selling books. I've got one of them right here. And this is those stories that I shared with you earlier about people being freed and, and released from debt are testimonials to what she has done. These books are pretty amazing. She knows what she's talking about. And she's got this system called the Rapid Debt Repayment Plan, and it's brilliant. It's extremely easy, and it's amazingly effective. If you're stuck today, I want you to take one of these books. I've got four of them, and I heard that people are already asking about them at the Welcome Center. So, act quickly. They're free, okay? This is just a gift from you because we want to resource you. We want to be generous people. We want to help you get unstuck. So take a book. If they're all gone, come and talk to me and we'll find some more books for you. Some of you are stuck financially and you know it. And that's a great first step because you have to know where you are if you want to get someplace else. So if you're stuck, come and talk to me and we'll, we'll start to work together on a plan to get you unstuck. The very first step in Mary Hunt's rapid debt repayment plan. Do you know what it is? No more new debt. You can't get out of debt if you keep bringing on more debt. The first step, no more new debt. You can't afford another master. Why would you want to enslave yourself even further? So don't do any more borrowing. No more new debt. Now, some of you don't think you're stuck. Or you don't know if you're stuck. Some of you have no idea what your financial situation is like. And some of you might not even care. There might be idiot lights flashing all over the dashboard, and you might be looking in the complete opposite direction. But it's going to come at some point. You'll feel that crunch eventually. If you're in that spot of not really knowing where you are financially, knowing if you're this turtle wagging his, his legs and not knowing what to do, or if you're totally fine in the fast lane, I've got a, a good suggestions for you. It comes from Andy Stanley, who's a great speaker and is a great resource on this topic. You need a system to track what you're spending. As Andy likes to say, you need to be knowing where all your money's going. You need to be knowing where all your money's going. 
If you don't know where your money's going, there's a good chance you're either stuck or you're heading that way. You need a system to chart where your money's going. My wife, Melissa, and I have been doing this for quite some time. Every time we buy something, we put it in a spreadsheet. And then when the credit card bill comes, we're able to cross it off, and we're able to figure out exactly where we are. And guess what? There's no surprises. We're never shocked at the end of the month because we've been tracking it, and we know what's going on with it. One of the things that we love about it is we know where our money goes. Another thing that we like is it helps us find out if the priorities we say we have actually line up to what we spend our money on. And it keeps us away from this trap of believing that I can borrow without becoming a slave. So if you don't know where your money's going, come and talk to me. Again, there's great resources. Uh, Through MB Stewardship Ministry, there's a, a resource called Getting a Grip. Getting a Grip on Your Financial Resources. Great teaching in there, and there's a budget there. It just helps you figure out if you want a budget and also begin to track your spending. And I've got some documents I can help you with too. So come talk with me. We're about to go into a prayer time soon. Ralph Terpstra and Bailey Davies and Aaron Franson will be available to listen and to talk with you and to pray with you and also to, to help process what you've heard and what sort of resources you can get in your hands in the next little bit. Getting unstuck requires action. And if you do nothing, you're almost guaranteed to remain stuck. So today's the day that you can get a plan. Mary's book, MB Stewardship Ministries, I cited Andy Stanley. If you are an iTunes person, you like listening to podcasts, he's got a couple of amazing teaching series on this. It literally has the potential to free your life if you are willing to do the work. So if the topic of money makes you uncomfortable my guess is that you need a plan. If money's creating conflict between you and your spouse, you probably need a plan. If your month is lasting longer than your money, you most certainly need a plan. You've got lots of options, but it's going to take some action on your part. But if you're ready to get unstuck, then let's talk this morning and make sure you head in the right direction. Now, nobody likes to have money troubles. And nobody wants to have money problems. And I don't want anyone to have to go through any of this. But some of us are choosing to have money problems because we're choosing to borrow more than we can afford. And whenever we choose to borrow, we choose to become a slave. So let's choose to change today. Let's choose to live debt-free, and let's choose to get unstuck. Let's pray. Lord, it's no secret to you that we're incapable of doing things on our own. We've already heard stories today of individuals saying, I need Jesus. I don't live up to the mark. I'm not satisfied with my life. There's something missing. And Lord, each one of us can say that in some part of our life. And when it comes to our personal finances, Lord, there's just so many ways to get stuck and so many ways to be deceived. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would allow us to have an honest conversation with ourselves, or perhaps with our family members as well. And I pray that you would build up ambition. This can-do attitude of saying, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to do what it takes to be responsible for what I have done and to make a new plan for the future. And so, God, I pray that you would honor the heart that we hope to develop. And I pray that you would link us together because we realize that the community of God is so effective 
and helping us rely on one another as we rely upon you. So Lord, give us courage this morning, we pray. And we thank you that through it all, you are our master and you have the ability to free us from what we've chosen to enslave ourselves in. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. There are people available to pray with you and I I hope you take us up on that opportunity. Thanks.